0: well good morning James chapter 1 and 2 if you turn there James chapter 1 and 2 I'm not going to read the whole of the chapters but I want to take a couple chunks here for our study on the church as a school where disciples are made so James chapter 1 let's see would be about six books left of the end of your Bible James chapter 1 verse 21 Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror for he observes himself goes away And immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. My brethren, verse 1 of chapter 2, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. And then he takes a few verses to talk about that. Verse 14, again, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect or complete? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead Also, let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, Lord, we want to hear under, even as you said, hear the word and then do it is what makes the word known. We really have learned it in doing it. And so, Lord, please, by your Holy Spirit, take the things I've prepared, break them, bless them, feed us this morning the, the 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 manna from heaven. Please bless it now. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. Again, we're in the building of the school, the church as a school, which is the building of instruction where disciples are made. One of the quotes I think that that fits this building is: "Live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live." Forever, So long as I keep learning from God's word, I will keep growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ and a lover of God. So long as I keep learning from God's word, I will keep growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ and a lover of God. So last week we looked at the importance of the word of God and its instruction in our lives. The Bible says that to learn truth is to live truth it's not just information it's transformation that the word of god gives to us in our lives james says faith without works is dead we can say this that and the other thing but our actions will be the final word our works will be the final word so james says in chapter 2 verse 14 what does it profit my brethren If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? You see, we can say a lot of things. And it's easy to say them. The question is, am I those things? Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Why? You who practice lawlessness. In other words, nothing's changed in your life. You can mouth a lot of sweet words, but it hasn't happened in your life. 1 John. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. So we can say a lot of things. In fact, in 1 John, he says, if we say that we have no sin, if we say that we have not sinned, and each one is attached to the truth, the truth is not in us. His word is not in us. So it's not what I'm saying. It's how am I doing what God has said in his word. If someone says again, 1 John 4, 20, I love God and hates his brother he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen how can he love god whom he has not seen you know woody allen is far from a godly man but he gets it listen to what he said standing in a garage no more makes you a car than standing in a church makes you a christian that was woody allen But he's also the one who said, God is silent. Now, if only man would shut up. The church as a school is the building of instruction where disciples are made. Jesus made it crystal clear that there is a cost for this school of discipleship. In Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, we read, Now great multitudes went with Jesus. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he, listen, cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, While the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. What does that mean? Surrender. How can I surrender to you in peace? So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, again, three times, cannot be my disciple. A classic book that I would encourage you to get if you haven't already read it is The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said this discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That doesn't sound very inviting, does it? But that's the cost of discipleship. Jesus went on to say, Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that salt is good so long as it contains the characteristics of saltiness. If it loses its saltiness, it loses its value. It's worthless, good for nothing, thrown out. Now, salt is an agent that makes one thirsty. Salt purifies and preserves. Salt cleanses and heals. When it no longer does those things, it's lost its value, and so it's worth nothing. And so a true disciple must contain the characteristics of discipleship. In other words, my life is making others thirsty, My life is an agent for purification and preservation, for cleansing and healing. Discipleship, here is my definition from this passage in Luke. Discipleship is a personal, planned, and willing surrender to obey God in all things. Discipleship is a personal, listen, planned. What man doesn't first sit down and count the cost? and willing surrender to obey God, to do what he has said to do. Do you know what? Discipleship is extremely personal. I have a cross to take up. My life is mine following Christ. I can't carry yours, and you can't carry mine. But you are called to carry yours, and I'm called to carry mine. So he says there, If anyone does not hate his father, mother. In other words, it's deeply personal. My relationship with Jesus Christ as a disciple. He's calling me to lay down my life in obedience to his will. The cost of discipleship is all of my ways surrendered to all of his will. It's everything of this life. Surrender to everything of God's will for my life. Deeply personal and costly. When Peter saw John, after Jesus restored him there along the lake of Galilee, he said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Now, I've done that often. How about you? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come. What is that to you? Follow me. Deeply personal. John, uh, Peter, get your eyes off John and all the others, and you put your eyes on me, and you follow me. That's discipleship. Extremely personal. And so, in the school as a building of instruction, I'm going to give you two acrostics. I gave you one last week. Firm. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your second acrostic, faith in His excellent Word. So in the School as a Building of Instruction, FIRM, speaks of God's Word, and we looked at that last week. The foundation, the inspiration, the revelation and motivation that we have in instruction from God's Word through His Spirit. Our learning must first be grounded in Scripture. Not merely passing on humanistic principles and values. Can I hear an amen? We want the word of God. Our learning must be thorough. There are no shortcuts to spiritual growth. It's one step at a time. It includes both instruction and, listen, correction, reproof. So it's not all nice encouragement as believers. We need to be corrected. We need to be reproved because we go astray in our hearts and in actions. Charlie Brown said, sometimes I lie awake at night and I ask, where have I gone wrong? Then a voice says to me, this is going to take more than one night. Can I hear an amen? (laughs) Our learning must be thorough. Third, our learning must be for others. See, this is living truth. So it's good works. Where disciples are made, the key is good works. The instruction is God's word. The the living is good works. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Now the purpose of the commandment King James has, the goal of our instruction, is love from a pure heart, and from a good conscience and from sincere faith. Now, we're going to look at what does sincere faith look like. Good works. Obedience. Paul told Timothy again, meditate on these things. God's word. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who who hear you you see as my life as a disciple it should be making people thirsty there should be an element of my character in Christ that's affecting others my progress in following Christ is helping others to progress in their walks with the Lord so a school where disciples are made F A I T H and I'm going to get to that in a moment but I want to hit on this whole area of good works The overall theme in the book of James is this, two words, faith works. Does your faith work? Read the book of James. He'll help you as to how it's supposed to work. Faith works. Now, the purpose of our learning is in living the life of discipleship. And this is a, listen, daily decision. Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, what's the word, daily, and follow me. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I will follow. Though none go with me. No turning back. No turning back. You see, a disciple is a learner who becomes more and more like his teacher. Like his master. In Romans 8, we've quoted this often. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are what? The called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son. You want to know what God's will is for you? You want to know what a disciple is? It's someone who's being conformed to be more and more like Jesus. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, just as James said, the mirror of the word of God, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's what is God's will. That's what he's seeking to accomplish in us in learning and living truth. So what does that look like? You know, there are many, many things we could point to, and some I will, but the one thing I believe summarizes living truth is doing good. It's doing good. And so I'd like to focus a little bit of our attention this morning on some passages, and I'm just going to be going through them and reading them. I'll send you my notes if you'd like them. You who are in home groups will have these notes. In 3 John chapter, well, it's only one chapter in the book, but 3 John 11, verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself, and we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. He actually names someone. John names Demetrius. He says, here's a guy that's living truth. In Titus, he writes, Paul writes, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. And then he goes on to say, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. You see, works are central to living truth. Luke summarized Jesus' life this way. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Now, when Jesus himself identified his ministry, listen to what he said, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's good work. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's a good work. To proclaim liberty to the captives. That's a good work. And recovery of sight to the blind. That's a miraculous work. And Jesus did give sight to the blind. It became central to people's, to him telling people, if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe through what I'm doing, my works. Who has ever opened the eyes of the blind, the man who was healed said? Who's ever done that? So he came to recover his sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's good work. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's a good work. Hey, be it AM or PM, this is too much good stuff. I thought that was a good one. You probably haven't seen the commercial. That's the problem. Okay. Now, listen, Jesus, they're good commercials, by the way. They're very funny. Anyone, anyone, not, anyone seen those? Okay, I probably won't try that one second service. <laughs> <laughs> too much good stuff. I mean, when Jesus was on earth, that identifies it is as too much good stuff. I mean, he went about doing good, and the things he was doing were absolutely, miraculously, tremendously, all the adjectives or adverbs, good. He went about doing good. Now, Jesus, listen, he rebuked the evil of outward religiosity that was nothing more than a cloak to cover their hypocrisy, their pride, their envy, and their murderous hearts. And it resulted in them seeing good as evil. They would see the good things that Jesus was doing and say it was evil. Wow. So Jesus said, if the light that's in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, they were supposedly doing all the work of God. They weren't doing the work of God. They were doing their own selfish work to draw attention to themselves and their pride and hypocrisy, and their envy is why jesus they killed Jesus. Jesus said, is your eye evil because I am good? What a question. They would say, hey, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? Because Jesus intentionally did good on the Sabbath to get these guys hopefully to see where their hearts are at in knowing God. They would say even to this point, hey, what he's doing is through the devil. Wow. They were attributing his good works to the work of Satan. They took up stones to kill him. Jesus said, for what good works do you seek to kill me? Why is it you want to kill me? What have I done? It's ironic. He would say, what good works are you going to kill me for? They said, hey, it's not for the good works, but because you are declaring yourself to be God. You see, his enemies knew what he was saying there are those today that say well jesus never claimed to be god well his enemies knew what exactly what he was saying he's saying i'm doing the work because i and the father are one you see to live truth is to be doing good works jesus in his instruction to those who would be his disciples said something rather difficult i say to you love your enemies Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who despitefully use you. Those are all good works. Amen. Listen to this quote. To confess and testify to the truth as it is in Jesus, and at the same time to love the enemies of that truth, his enemies and ours, and to love them with the infinite love of Jesus Christ is indeed a narrow way. We talked last week, the sin of homosexuality. What has God said to us? Love your enemies. I'm not saying homosexuals are my enemy, But what we see in the Bible says that the homosexual lifestyle is at odds with God's word. And we talked about that last week. My heart as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to love them. And do a good work of preaching or, or teaching, instructing in humility should it arise that God gives me opportunity. As Paul told Timothy, the servant of the Lord is not to quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance. And so we share and talk and have them as a part of our life. And we hope to God he'll grant repentance if perchance, per They'll see the truth and come to their senses. A disciple defeats his enemies by loving them. That's what Jesus did. You see, the Bible says we were enemies. He conquered us with his love. In Romans, Paul wrote in chapter 12, verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. That's good work. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. That's a good work. For in so doing, you will will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm amazed as I was studying this whole idea of just how prevalent it is in the Bible. Paul records this about our salvation in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of, listen, works, lest anyone should boast. We're not talking about the good works that, that by which we're saved. We're talking about the good works from which, being saved, our lives are changed. And so, not of works lest anyone should boast, for we are his. Here it is again. Workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what good works that we should that He's prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. That's our salvation, that's the believer's purpose. In contrasting the saved and the unsaved, Paul wrote to the Romans chapter 2 and verse 6 God will render to each one according to His deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality, not our own glory, but the glory that we shall receive because we know Christ and are saved. And so he says, by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but contrast to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good. See, it's what we're commanded to be doing. Now, Paul in his encouragement to the tired and persecuted saints said this, and let us not grow weary while doing good. Are you weary this morning? We all get weary. He says, hey, let us not grow weary. We can be weary, but let it not continue to grow. Let us not, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. To all. And so a good work Is looking for opportunity. Do good to all. And then he says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's a different relationship, a different responsibility we have as believers among ourselves, knowing that we, because we understand that we do grow weary in well doing. In 2 Thessalonians, the same thing. Paul said, chapter 3, verse 13, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Keep at it. Keep on keeping on. Now, good works is a major theme in the pastoral epistles. And it just fits. This is the instruction to God's ministers. 1 Timothy 2:10, which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So to the women professing godliness, here's what it looks like: good works. Widows, Well-reported for good works. Now, what are some good works? If she has brought up children, parents, our parenting is a good work. If she's brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Now, in the context... Paul is giving the parameters by which the church would support the widows. Saying, here are the things that we want to see if that's her life. Now, he also said to Timothy, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. So it might be evident right now, but if it's there, it's going to eventually be seen, the good works. Paul said to the wealthy let them do good that they be rich in good works ready to give willing to share now some of you maybe here today are wealthy monetarily what's a good work be ready to share willing to give in 2 Timothy 2:21 therefore if anyone cleanses himself from the latter he will be a vessel for honor sanctified and useful for the workmaster Prepared for every good work. You see, things that hinder us is sin. Cleanse ourselves from these things so that the vessel now can be for God's work through it in good works. Titus chapter 2. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Zealous for good works. Titus chapter 3 verse 1. And be subject to the rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work. It's a good work that we understand God's authority and submit and surrender to it. Now, I have a hard time with that these days. I got a few things I could say about our governing authorities. I better leave that alone. Titus 3.8 eight. This is a faithful saying. These things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to what? Maintain good works. It it needs maintenance. These things are good and profitable to men. Titus 3.14, again, and let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs. Here's another good work. You see a need that's urgent, meet it. It's a good work. It's living truth. The writer of Hebrews closed the book out with this, Hebrews 13, 16, but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well-pleased. Sharing. James, in his letter to the believer, said, left no excuses and no escape clauses. Here's what James said. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, guess what? him it is sin. Ooh, ooh. Meet urgent needs. Willing to share, ready to give. Looking for every opportunity. Relieving the afflicted. Lodging strangers. Peter talked a lot about suffering and the will of God. And this is what he said. 1 Peter 2.15. For this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Again, 1 Peter 2.20. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? Now, there's another good work. To take it patiently. I'm not even sure that's possible. Except by the power of the Holy Spirit. It isn't possible. Take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer... If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. God sees that. The good work, living truth. Obviously, the the ultimate example of suffering and doing good is our Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.17. It is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's better. It's better. Now, you know, in our minds, we, when we do evil, we understand we should suffer, that that's okay, but we don't think the opposite. I'm doing good, why am I suffering? Hey, Peter said, it's better. Now, if it's the will of God, we suffer for things that have nothing to do with following Christ. But when we're disciples and doing the will of God, surrendered to him, 1 Peter 4, 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him, how? In doing good as to a faithful creator. Brothers and sisters, that's the bottom line statement in the New Testament. We're going to commit our souls to him, how? By doing good. Keep on keeping on. Good works. Even Solomon, in his quest to find meaning in life apart from God. Ecclesiastes. He concluded this. Listen. Ecclesiastes 3.12. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. Solomon got it. up, and, And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is basically life apart from God. He tried everything. And he came to this conclusion. Hey, here it is. I know nothing is better And rejoice by how? To do good in their lives. It's a principle, a law of what God has given to us and how he has created us to do good. Isaiah, in communicating God's prescription for spiritually sick people, said, learn to do good. What does that mean? Seek justice. Justice is a good work. Rebuke the oppressor. Rebuking those who are, are treating people wrongly is a good work. Defend the fatherless, those who are helpless. Defend them. Come to their defense. Plead, excuse me, for the widow. Plead for the widow. You see, God's remedy is learn to do good. What does that mean? There they are. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require from you? Again, but to do justly. Do what's right. That's good. Always good work. To love mercy. Now, I love mercy for me. But what about for others? You see, to the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. And to walk humbly with our God. To know the word is to do the word. James tells us that. Receive the implanted word but be doers of the word and not hearers only. We can deceive ourselves into thinking we know the word without obeying the word. But what the Bible tells us is we We may know what the Bible says and yet never know what the Bible says. As a personal experience of discipleship and being God's disciple. Without the doing, there is no knowing. People can say a lot of things. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, don't be deceived. Therefore, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Learning truth is living truth. Hearing the word and doing the word is the foundation of stability and blessing in our lives. Now he says, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. No foundation. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And then Luke, Matthew adds this. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He wasn't quoting whoever, all the commentaries and all. He wasn't, Jesus wasn't quoting. He saying, for I say to you, this is God speaking. And that always trumps anything that someone else might come up with. What has God said? You see, to know the word is to do the word. A school is the building of instruction, God's word, where disciples are made. And so let me give you very quickly the acrostic, F-A-I-T-H, Faith works. Good works are what we're called to. F is faith without works is dead. A is actions speak louder than words. Can I hear an amen? That's what he's saying. I can say a lot of things. I can hear a lot of things. But what about my actions? I read this quote on Facebook last night. May your life speak more loudly than your lips. Here's another one. Not from Facebook. If your work speaks for, its, work speaks for itself, don't interrupt. <laughs> well done, Benjamin Franklin. Well done is better than well said. As I grow older, this is Andrew Carnegie, I pay less attention to what men say. I just watch what they do. I can testify to that. You know, a man can boast of all his ways, but who? a faithful man the Proverbs says, who can find? It's easy to say things, and may, but what about following through on what you've said? The theme of the book of James is faith works. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. In other words, my faith understands that God says the way I treat one person is the same way I need to treat every person. Whether they're rich, poor, whatever, destitute. Every person is to be treated the same because God treats them the same. So James spends a lot of time on partiality. He then says in verse 14, what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? If a brother is destitute and naked... And now, now, destitute and naked, that's pretty needy, I would say. But you say, you know, just be warm, be filled. And doesn't give him what he needs. What kind of substance does that faith have? I'll tell you how much zero. Abraham was justified by works in that God said, "Take now your son, your only son, and offer on an a that I will show you." And so Abraham immediately rose, took his son, took the servant with the wood, and he he started going to Mount Moriah. And then he got and he got Isaac. He bound him. And by the way, Isaac was probably thirty years old at the time. He binds him on that altar there on on Mount Moriah. And by the way, three day journey. Is this gets me, it's such a powerful prophetic word of what God did for us. And so he binds Isaac on the altar. On the way up the mountain, Isaac said, Father, here's the wood. Where's the fire? Where's the, here's the wood and the fire. Where's the lamb? He said, God will provide himself the lamb for the sacrifice. But God didn't intervene in this commandment to Moses to offer up his son Isaac, his only son on that mountain. And so Isaac bound, Abraham bound Isaac. He got the knife ready to slay him. And the voice said, hold on, hold on. Now I know, I know what's in your heart. Now, God knew that. But Abraham's heart. And I have to believe that on those three days, as Isaac is already dead in his mind for three days... As he's trying, there had to be some battles going on in his obedience to God. But God provided a sacrifice. And in that same place, God provided his son. God will provide himself the sacrifice. Not for himself, God will provide himself the sacrifice for a burnt offering. It's powerful. Abraham did what God told him to do. He did what he heard from God. James says, Rahab the harlot, the same thing. She did what she said she would do. She received the message and sent them out another way. She preserved their lives. She protected them, knowing the testimony that she had of God. Good works are the very life of genuine discipleship of genuine faith for as bo- as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also in other words the vision must be followed by the venture it's not enough to stare up the steps or to stare up the mountain we must step up the stairs see that's good works Faith, actions, I is imitate what is good. Look for the examples. Follow the examples. Paul said to the Corinthians, imitate me now. He said, just as I also imitate Christ. So Paul said, hey, I'm the man. He said, no, he's the man, capital T-H-E, capital M-A-N, Jesus. Jesus will always be the one and supreme example of living truth. It is only because he became like us that we can become like him. Pastor Chuck, he walked his talk. He never sought the spotlight or the applause of men. He left no monuments to himself or his ministry. He simply stayed the course of serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Tremendous example to me. Tremendous. Third John, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Demetrius has a good testimony of the truth. I'm thankful for the examples I see in our church here. Many of you. Are you not thankful for those who've been the example to you? Been the one that you've seen. I, okay, I'm seeing there what I'd like to see in my own life. We need those examples. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Paul warned against those who would draw disciples after themselves and not to Christ. The best good work we can do is pointing people to Christ, pointing people to Christ, pointing people to Christ. We're thankful for those, but here's a question for you this morning. Is someone thankful for your example of living truth? I think this weighs on the heart of every parent, every grandparent. You realize the importance of living for Christ to pass on something they can imitate, something they can follow after. In Ephesians, Paul said, be imitators of God as dear children. In Thessalonians, you said, become imitators of the churches of God. I think of our church. Are we that living truth? I believe that we are in some ways. I believe we've got a long way to go in others. When people come, they say, surely God is among you. In Hebrews, it says, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. You who are involved here at any manner, You're doing a good work. You're ministering to the saints and ministering to them week in, week out with our children, maybe our youth, whatever it is. Hey, know this. You're doing a good, you're living truth. He went on to say, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise." Imitate what is good. The f- final two. T, trust God and do good. H, happy is he who does good. Trust God and do good. Happy is he who does good. James says, you look into the perfect law of liberty and continue in it, James one twenty-five, and I'm not a forgetful hero but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed the word is happy in what he what does happy 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 is the people whose god is the lord you know that song you probably can't tell what song it is the way i'm singing it you know what the psalmist said listen do not fret because of evildoers nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. The surest way to escape anxiety and despair is action. Not dwelling, but doing. Nothing diminishes anxiety faster than action. Action is an antidote to despair. And I'll tell you what, you can easily despair and fret about the evildoers in our world. We're surrounded by them. They're crowding us out in many ways. He goes on to say this. Now, Calvin Coolidge said, we can do everything at once. We cannot do everything at once, but we can do something at once. Then he said this, Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. That's the antidote. Yes, there are a lot of things that were anxious and angry and all those things. He said, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him also and he shall bring it to pass. Trust God. You'll be happy if you do. Psalms, Proverbs sixteen twenty: He who heeds the word wisely will find good and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is He psalm 34 8 oh taste and see that the lord is what Good. good happy is the man who trusts in him god is good as we're going to live truth out his goodness will be pervading our lives be then through our lives and we will be happy 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 mark twain said the secret to getting ahead is to getting started By the way, happiness is never found by direct pursuit. Many people are seeking happiness. Solomon saw it in Ecclesiastes. He said, it's all vanity of vanity. It's all empty. It leaves me empty. And then his conclusion, do good. Happiness is the fruit of living a life according to God's word. Jesus said in John chapter 13, as he was washing the disciples' feet, He said, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, listen, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Happy. Trust in the Lord and do good. A lot of unhappiness in life comes from being afraid to go straight at it. Do good. Keep on doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. Maintain good works. Do you know that Jesus perfectly surrendered His will to the Father, which meant death on the cross, severe suffering, not to speak of all he went through in his earthly life. He was the happiest man who ever walked on the face of the earth. Now, do you ever think of Jesus like that? How do I know that? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9 of Jesus. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. You know, I, I that that movie, the movie called the Jesus movie. I saw that many years ago. And what struck me the first time I saw it was just the joy. There was a lightness in that movie at, at points of Jesus. You know, I, I kind of get the somber. Hey. You've anointed the oil of gladness more than your companions. The happiest man who ever lived on the earth. And let me tell you, when he sets up his kingdom again, we're going to be the happiest people that ever lived on the earth. Charlie Brown said, try not to have a good time. This is supposed to be educational. (laughs) Hey, the instruction of God's word lived out in Obedience to that is the happiest life that could possibly be lived. Paul said, none of these things move me, all the discouragements that were being thrown at him. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself that I may finish my race, what? With joy. With joy. After all is said and done, may it be true for each and every one of us that a lot more has been done than said. This past week has been another gentle reminder that we really don't know how much longer we have. Three families suffered some tragic losses in the last couple of weeks. Life's fragile. I did a memorial service in here for Lazaro Lopez. Many of you maybe have know, know him. I see Mary, his former wife, and Johnny's attends here. Met his, I can tell you that memorial service was so filled with the word of God and the gospel. But we don't know how long we have. But on that day, whenever it is that God calls us home, it's not going to matter what I say to Jesus. What's going to matter is what Jesus says to me. How many times have you said, oh, and the older I get, the more it resonates with me. I just long to hear Jesus say what? Well, listen, done. Good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. That's what I long to hear. Discipleship is in good works. Now, remember this, you older folks. When you're over the hill, you begin to pick up speed. Here's a little poem that I found. A nod, a bow, and a tip of the lid to the person who coulda, shoulda, and did. Well done, good and faithful servant. Live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live forever. And indeed, we shall. Stand with me and let's close in worship and prayer this morning. I just thought of that passage, Lord, where David wrote, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. In his whole fallout with Bathsheba, and he confessed his sin, you forgave him. He said, oh, how happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. You have not dealt with us according to our sins. We were enemies at one point. But, Lord, you won us over through your love. Satisfying the wrath against sinners on, in Jesus at the cross and releasing the mercy of God to those of us who confess our sin and repent and turn to you. You receive us to yourself. where We begin to understand, Lord, just a little bit of what it really means to lead and experience a meaningful life. And that is only in relationship with you. And so we who are believers here, we're praying for anyone that is right here in this room. Or maybe someone watching. That, Lord, they would come to their senses. That your word would take that place of their will. And they'd surrender to, Lord, your will. The commandment you have that all men everywhere must repent. You overlooked and, Lord... If there's someone here this morning, you know them intimately. You know their need for salvation and forgiveness. And, Lord, you've convicted them. I'm certain of that. So we're praying for you if that's you. And you can receive Christ, Jesus. You can receive salvation. You can know what it means to know a good God. If you'll confess your sins, confess that Jesus is Lord, Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So we're going to leave that where where it has to remain between you and God this morning. But if you want to make that commitment to Christ, then we're going to ask you if after we're all done, just to come forward. We'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Please tell someone to be up front, and there'll be people here to pray for anyone that wants to come and needs prayer. So Lord. We take this word and we commit it to you. The things that we've heard, we want them to be the things that we do. And you're gentle. Lord, you you move us along step by step. You're gracious and merciful. But Lord, we don't take any of that for granted. Nor do we want to take advantage of any of that. We want to experience, Lord, what you've said we, we can experience please, through your word and in our faith, lived out completely, let's worship him.